0: thanks for tuning in to the lake forest church podcast lake forest is a community for people who have given up on church but not on god if you'd like to learn more about our churches in huntersville davidson and denver north carolina you can check us out online at lakeforest.org well i recently read about a dad who had tried to teach his children the value of money. He's talking about the value of money. And the dad did this. These are uh, his own words. Let me read this to you. He said, when our kids were little, we put them on the envelope system. We gave them an allowance. They would put it in envelopes labeled give, save, and spend. I thought it was working until one day I had a Band-Aid on my arm. My daughter, who at the time was about six, asked why. I explained I had a medical exam that day to get life insurance. She said, what's that? I explained, well, honey, daddy loves you so much and loves the family so much. So if anything were to happen to daddy, which of course it won't, but if it would, life insurance would provide $250,000. She has a tender heart, and I knew she would be worried. She looked up me with really wide eyes and said, each He writes, I'm not sure the right lesson was getting through. (laughs) We're in a series called Vices and Virtues, and we are looking at some of those things that are just common to the human heart. Things like pride, envy, sloth, and trying to discover how we can, with God's help, take those things off and put on the virtues that lead to life. That's what we're looking at. And today, today I want to talk about a condition that honestly starts very, very young and afflicts all of us. Uh, Today, I want to talk about the vice of greed, greed. So what is greed? Lots of definitions. Let me give you Aaron's working definition today. You ready for this? Uh, Aaron's definition of greed is it is an intense and selfish desire to acquire or possess more than one needs. Got a feeling for that? You probably didn't even need the definition this morning to know what greed is all about, right? It just kind of is in all of us. We all feel it in one way or another. A uh, funny thing about greed, uh, everyone seems to agree that greed is a terrible thing. We, we all agree that it's bad. Uh, in fact, uh, a recent survey that was done by The Economist magazine, y'all might know The Economist, uh, they, they asked uh, in this survey, of the seven deadly sins, which one is the worst? And time and time and time again, the number one worst deadly, most deadly sin mentioned uh, is greed. We think that greed's a terrible thing. But there's a second question that they asked in the survey that's really interesting. They, They said, all right, of all the seven deadly sins, which ones have you committed in your life? And greed comes up last. Almost no one is willing to admit that they are greedy. So we think that greed is terrible and horrible, and we just assume it's someone else's problem. We all know somebody who's greedy, and it's not us. This leads Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, to uh, observe. He says, even though it is clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it is true of them. Greed hides itself from its victim. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, I, I was thinking in my own life of just how blind I can be to kind of my heart's condition. This uh, I was reading recently, did you know that over half the world, this is true today, over half the world lives on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. The average person, half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. The average American teenager spends $150 a week. Just, just let that sink in for a moment, right? And... Now, before parents, before you start ribbing your teenager next to you, right, or your spouse, uh, let, me, let me just admit a little confession moment here. I have no problem, like without even thinking, dropping $2. Remember $2 a day? I have no problem dropping $2 on a cup of coffee, right? Like I, I don't even flinch at that. Uh, or or in, in the case of Starbucks, dropping $20 on a cup of coffee. right? But, but I don't even think about that. And yet, half the world lives on what a cup of coffee costs me. I don't even, I don't even pause. Such is the richness and the abundance of the life I live in. See, one of the challenges for our culture is that we have so much around us. We have so much stuff, so much access. In fact, our culture actually has taken a step further. Our culture has equated the abundance of stuff with the abundance of life. We just assume that more, more whatever, fill in the blank, more whatever is always going to lead to more life. But this has kind of created a, a little bit of a problem in our hearts we, we, we end up living because of that we end up living lives tight-fisted because we we can't risk losing that stuff or our hearts become hard hardened to the needs of others Jesus knew that he was aware of the, the 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 destructive power of greed in the human heart and so uh, in fact one time uh, he was approached by two brothers uh, the first brother came up to him, and said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine a family having conflict over an inheritance? Jesus replied, man, dude, who appointed you, uh, me judge or an arbitrator between you, right? He doesn't want to get into this. And then he turns and he looks at the crowd and he says this, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist In an abundance of possessions. Jesus takes this issue head on. He says, look, I know your culture. I know the equation. Stuff equals life. But I want to tell you, abundant stuff does not give abundant life. So with that, let's pray and go home. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's kind of hard for us to take. I mean, we know that's the world we live in. but, But what do we do about that? It just seems to be like our daily reality. Is there really a path of freedom from a life or heart of greed? Is there anything that can soften our hearts and replace greed with generosity? That's what I want to look at with you today. I want to look at if it really is possible to break free. And I think it is, and I think there's some hope for us found in this one story in the Bible that Jesse read for us. Today I want to look at the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, This man has an encounter with Jesus... ...that changes his life forever. Uh, The story is found in Luke chapter 19. And before we get into that, I just need to set the stage a little bit, if that's all right. Remember, Luke is one of the four guys who wrote a historical account of the life of Jesus. Luke was not there, but Luke did the most incredible thing. Luke went back afterwards and interviewed eyewitnesses who were there. He may have even interviewed Zacchaeus himself. We don't know. But Luke records all of this faithfully, and he gives us these essential details. But the second thing you need to know about this story is that Jesus uh, did most of his earthly ministry up in the north in a lake town near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It was a lake town about 70 miles north of the big city of Jerusalem, and they were connected by uh, I-77 with a toll lane. It was terrible, right? I'm just kidding. But you get the picture. He did all of his work up here, but then one day Jesus says, you know what, guys? Uh, We need to go on a road trip. And so he gathers up his posse, and they start traveling those 70 miles down to Jerusalem. And they actually, on that journey, Jesus does some of the most shocking things. He crosses ethnic boundaries. He crosses religious boundaries. He crosses socioeconomic boundaries. And we get a picture of Jesus that is quite, quite amazing. But right before he gets to Jerusalem, his last town to go through is a little suburb of Jerusalem known as Jericho. It's 10 miles outside the big city, and that's where our story picks up. Let me read it to you right here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's take this line by line. I want to just highlight a couple things that we see in these opening passages of the story. First thing Luke tells us is that Jesus was simply passing through. In other words, Jesus had no intention of stopping in Jericho. He was passing through the town on his way to Jerusalem. This was just days before The Passover week and Jesus had some important business to attend to in Jerusalem. He didn't have time to waste. Maybe a quick stop at QT a corn dog, a a cheer wine and then he's got to get back on the road. But Luke hints at something that's about to happen right here. Because Jesus' plans are about to be interrupted. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, this Zacchaeus, just a little nerd moment. His name's kind of a funny name. His name uh, literally means pure one or purely God, only God. But Zacchaeus' name was quite ironic because we're also told that he was a tax collector. And not just any tax collector, but the chief tax collector. You see, it's important for us to remember that in Jesus' day, there was no IRS, There were no 1040 forms. There was no IRS.gov to go for taxes. Instead, the Roman Empire, which had sacked Jerusalem, the Roman Empire, the oppressor, had come in and taken over Israel. And they would issue contracts to certain local Jews, giving them the right to, to collect taxes on behalf of the oppressors. Because of this, the Romans were despised. They were hated by the Jews. And so anyone, I mean anyone, who participated in this system, they were viewed as a traitor, not just to their nation, but to their family, to their friends. They, they, they were isolated. They were hated. But the only problem was you could make a lot of money as a tax collector. So because this whole thing was a little shady, I want to tell you how it actually worked. If you had a little bit of money, you had to have a little bit of money to buy in on this pyramid scheme. If you had a little bit of money, you could go and bribe the local governor to give you the contract. Once you had that contract, you could go and hire your grunt workers. They were actually called tax farmers. And the tax farmers would set up on the roadsides and in the marketplaces. And they would extort the amount of taxes that the Roman government wanted. But then they would add to it a little bit of profit. And then all of those guys knew that they had to pay you, the contract guy, a little bit of their profit. So you got to kick back at the top of this pyramid scheme and just live on hog heaven, right? You get a feel for how this tax thing worked? And Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who sat at the top of this pyramid, he raked it in. He made a killing. In fact, the word there that was told were given for wealthy, uh, pliraeus, could actually mean just filthy rich. He had no friends, but he had a lot of money. So that's the setup that we've got. But something is about to happen. One day, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is passing through. And it awakens this kind of longing in him. We don't know what Zacchaeus had heard, but he had heard something about this Jesus. This Jesus was unlike anyone, anyone had ever seen on earth. He, he, he was healing people. He, he was teaching. He was welcoming sinners and outsiders. He was welcoming tax collectors. And there was even rumor that in his inner circle of 12, there was a former tax collector named Matthew. So Zacchaeus says, I've got to go see this. And that's what Luke tells us in the very next verse. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, Zacchaeus, to be clear, Zacchaeus did not want to meet Jesus, right? I mean, that would have been a little scary. He, he, and The odds of that were slim anyway. He didn't want to get too close He just wanted to see him. Like a lot of us, he was curious. And besides, remember, Jesus is just passing through town. He's on his way. So Zacchaeus is just hoping to get a little bit of a glimpse. Maybe like, you know, like get out the selfie with him and Jesus somewhere back there. He can brag to his friends, right? Yeah, or so-called friends. Well, Luke must have talked to someone who was there that day. We don't know, but perhaps he gets a glimpse into Zacchaeus' heart. And he continues. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here's Zacchaeus. Remember, he's he's short. And so he goes, he runs ahead, and he's climbing this tree. And let me just pause here for a moment. Let me just say that grown men climbing trees in the center of the city, that's just a little awkward, isn't it? I I mean, I think that's kind of... Grown men wearing the kind of clothes that grown men wore in those days climbing trees, that's really awkward, right? But Zacchaeus is desperate. He's desperate. He really wants to see Jesus. So he runs ahead of the parade. He knows where the parade is headed. He runs ahead and he climbs the sickle tree. And he waits for Jesus to get there. Now, just out of curiosity. How many of y'all grew up... You, you, I need the church kids, right? You remember the Sunday... You know the song that goes with this story? Any of y'all know this song? Zacchaeus was a... Oh, so y'all do know this. And a... Man, was he he in the sycamore tree for the... Oh, man. Some of y'all are like, what is... That is the weird... Nobody would write that song today, would they? Like the wee little man? Some of y'all just gave up on church all over again. <laughs> that song. Look with me at verse 5. When Jesus reaches the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus... Come down immediately. Now, I imagine something here. And this is not in the text. This is Aaron, okay? This is Aaron, not text. I imagine that when Jesus stopped, the whole parade stopped. And and Jesus turns, right? And there's this grown man up in this tree. And and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And I think there was this kind of hush that must have fallen over the crowd that day, right? Because these, these guys were certainly... Somebody there was thinking like... Yes, finally, somebody is going to call this bully out. Somebody, Jesus, this Jesus guy is going to read Zacchaeus the riot act. He's going to be humiliated. He's up there in that tree. Anyway, finally, and they're waiting for Zacchaeus to get it, right? And then Jesus shocks everyone. Look at what he says. Zacchaeus, today I must stay in your house. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place for dinner. Now, I don't know what people would have thought in that moment. Again, Luke only gives us some sparse details, but I kind of imagine the disciples, you know, Jesus' group of 12 and followers, can you imagine their reaction? They're like, no, 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 Jesus. No, no, no. We're, this is not on the itinerary. Uh, we're, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We went to, we went to AAA and got the triptychs. Like, we're not supposed to stay here tonight, right? We're, all, we're on the road. Does nobody use triptychs anymore? Was that like a 1990s reference? That was. All right, 40-year-olds, you remember that? Okay, back to the point. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus, are you not even paying attention to your own story? We're just passing through. Remember what the Bible says, Jesus? We're not supposed to be stopping here, right? And yet Jesus stops. But it's not just the disciples who are kind of shocked. The the crowd is a little bit surprised as well. Look at what Luke tells us about the crowd. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Isn't that a great word? I was thinking about bringing back the word mutter just so I can use it with my kids. Stop that muttering. Anyway, they begin to mutter. What do they mutter? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, the crowd is like, what? Jesus This isn't how it's supposed to work. We got here early. We're the good guys. We brought donuts. We made signs that say, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? Yeah, that's right. We made banners. We've got t-shirts. We posted on social media. Jesus, we're your fan club. We're the ones. If anyone deserves, if anyone deserves to get to meet you, Jesus, it is us. It's not the oppressor, sinner, tax collector guy in the tree. Okay, let's get that. We're the ones. And, it's, and, and he's not even wearing an I heart Jesus t-shirt. He gets to have lunch with Jesus. We did not even get to meet Jesus. This guy gets to have a meal with Jesus. This is not how it's supposed to work. And this was so shocking, so unsettling. But that's kind of how Jesus does it. Jesus takes our assumptions. Jesus takes the way things work in our world and he turns them upside down. Now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly what happens at this lunch. Again, Luke doesn't give us any details that he could not verify with eyewitnesses. So we don't know about the lunch as a whole. But somewhere near the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus stands up and he looks at Jesus and he makes this incredible pronouncement. Listen to what he says. He says, look, Lord, look, Jesus. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody... Out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, just let that sink in for Can, can you imagine giving away half of your stuff? Right? You, you, you got two cars. Okay, I'm going to give away one. I'm going to give away one car. Or I got two. I got two laptops. I'm, I'm going to give away one. One laptop. Right? Or, or I, I, you know, I've got two pairs of running shoes. I'm going to give away one pair of running shoes. I've got two kids, I'm going to give away one. No, 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 we will draw the line somewhere. Do you see how radical this is? He's giving away half his stuff. And it doesn't just stop there. He's going to now pay back four times the amount that he stole from people. Which means he's not just giving back the dishonest part. He's starting to give away his own money. It's utterly shocking. Now, what would cause Zacchaeus to do something like this, right? What would cause somebody to take these kind of radical steps? Well, you might say maybe he's just tired of being greedy. Okay, maybe. Or maybe maybe he read Marie Kondo's book and he just decided to get rid of all the stuff that doesn't give him joy, right? What would cause somebody to pay back every person they have ever cheated and give away half of what they own? What I want to suggest is, is this morning is that there's one thing and one thing alone that can do that. And it is a deep, personal encounter with grace. It is grace and grace alone in our lives that can free us, free our hearts from the destructive power of greed. You see, Zacchaeus knew that he did not deserve this. Zacchaeus knew his whole life had been about taking about earning, about acquiring, about cheating, more, 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 more. His entire life had been, he did not deserve this treatment about Jesus. But then Jesus, this God incarnate, this man, this God come in the form, one day encounters him on the streets. He looks up in the tree. He makes eye contact and he sees something in Zacchaeus. And in that moment, Zacchaeus' life changes forever. A deep, deep personal encounter of grace will do that to a person. And I just love Jesus' response. Do you notice his response here? Look at how Jesus is responding. Jesus said to him, "Today, salvation, deliverance, freedom has come to this house, because Zacchaeus finally got his act together and did the right thing." No. Because Zacchaeus finally realized what a rotten person he was, and he decided to be nicer. No. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. See, Zacchaeus' generosity, this radical change in his life, is not the cause of his salvation. It is the result of his salvation. It is the personal encounter of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that utterly transforms his heart. And he cannot help but express his gratitude in generosity. A personal experience of grace will always, it will always lead to a life of generosity. Which causes us to maybe pause for a moment and reflect, doesn't it? Confession moment here. There are times in my life when I do not feel like sharing. Right? It was called dinner last night. <laughs> let me, this is a true story. I did not mention this at first service. I, I we had this little taco kit, you know, and so I made these tacos, and it comes with this little pouch of green stuff that I guess is guacamole, but who knows what it is. And 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 there's not really enough guacamole for all for everyone to have tacos. And there was this part of me, for this moment, I thought. Maybe I should hide the guacamole, and I'll just—I'll just kind of pretend that—I mean, I won't hide it, hide, but like I'll put it behind the chip bag, and maybe the kids won't see it, and then, well, then you know, then there'll be more guacamole for me, right? Who can save me from this body of death, right? (laughs) I mean, these thoughts go through my mind because that's the condition of my heart. See, only the radical grace of Jesus can transform that in me. And so maybe for you, maybe for me this, this morning, as we reflect on those areas of our lives where maybe we find that greed at work, maybe quietly, maybe we don't even want to admit that, is it possible that it's still active there because we are yet to fully experience the depth of the grace of Jesus in that part of our lives? Because if we have a deep encounter with the grace of Jesus, it will always lead to a life of generosity. So with the last few minutes I have, uh, I just want to touch on three things quickly. Um... This this kind of grace in your life, if you ever choose to embrace it, if you let Jesus in, man, it will change you and it will change everything. He will. He wants to transform every part of your life. But let me give three that I think might be particularly potent for us this morning. Number one is this. A personal experience of grace will lead us to be generous with our time. Generous with our time. One of my favorite things about Jesus is the way he always makes time for others. In fact, uh, Jesus, you might say, is a master at practicing the art of interruptibility. It's not that Jesus didn't have stuff to do. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't busy. He was. He was doing a lot. But Jesus was never so busy as to not be interruptible. In fact, one of my favorite stories, we see this in Zacchaeus, but one of my other favorite stories uh, comes from the Gospels, and you might know this story. There was a woman in this town who had been sick for 12 years. In fact, the text says she's been bleeding Uh, for for 12 years. And she's been shunned by her community. She's seen all the doctors. She's out of resources. And Jesus, I get this. This is so amazing. Jesus is visiting the town and he's on his way to basically the mayor's house. Like the most important dude in the community because his son is sick. And he's on the way there and the crowds are following him. And it's like, okay, he's going, he's going, he's going up to the hill. That's where the important guy lives. He's on his way when all of a sudden Jesus stops because this woman had somehow come to the scene and reached out and touched the edge of his robe. And Jesus stops and he says, somebody touched me and the power has just left me. My grace has just gone out of me. And he turns aside and there's this woman. And he looks her in the eyes and, and he speaks healing and forgiveness into her life. And grace, a deep personal encounter with grace, changes that woman forever that day. Jesus loved to be interrupted. He loved to embrace the holy interruptions. What I believe from my own life of faith and from what I see in the scriptures is that each and every one of us, you, you every day have those kinds of God moments available to you in your life. God wants to use you in that way. But often we are simply too busy or in too much of a hurry to even notice. Jesus was constantly making room for others in his life. What might it look like for you To share more of your time with others this week. What holy interruptions might God have in store for you? Number one, a personal experience of grace will lead us to be generous with our time. Number two builds on that and it is this. A personal experience of grace will lead us to be generous with our abilities, our skills, our knowledge. Now I just need to brag on y'all. Y'all are some of the brightest, most talented people around, and I really mean that. I mean, a number of y'all run run companies, you run your own businesses, you run your households, you work in schools, hospitals, communities. I mean, y'all are amazing, amazing people. And you have been gifted with so much rich knowledge and experience in your life. And what if, what if God doesn't want to just use that to bless you, but to be a blessing to others? Not just to meet your needs but to meet the needs of others. I want to brag on two of our ministry partners for a moment, um, and uh, they would not want me to brag on them, so I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But uh, I want to tell you about Tom and Lori Wazowski. Uh, Tom and Lori uh, came to me this last September, and they said, Hey, Aaron, you know, we've got all of our business stuff, and I mean, they're remarkably successful people in their fields, and we've got all that stuff, but we really want our lives to to count in, in some way in benefiting others in our community. And in particular, we have a heart for the school system and the kids who are neglected or overlooked in that school system, who who are under-resourced. And and we just would love to do something like that. And it was funny because they didn't know this, but at the same time, we were in conversations with uh, the superintendent from Lincoln County Schools about starting a mentoring program at St. James Elementary. And so God just kind of brought all this stuff together. I said, does this sound? And they said, that sounds great. And they took the bull by the horns and they started running with that. And y'all, they have put in hours and hours of work to make this partnership possible. They've gone through trainings and and, uh, recruiting. And and they have built a team now of some of y'all. Some of y'all are going to be some of our first mentors. And beginning on April 8th, literally nine days from today, we will have the the first launch of Westlake's mentoring program at St. James Elementary School. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. These are students, by the way, that teachers have nominated. These are students who many of them have no adult outside of maybe that classroom teacher who is is loving them, encouraging them, supporting them. And we get to come in, and, and there's a handful of you all who are giving one hour a week for one year for one student to share your life, your knowledge, the riches that God has so richly given to you. Because grace, a personal experience of grace, will always lead us to be generous with our abilities. Third and finally is this. Third and finally is this. A personal experience of grace will lead us to be generous with our, ouch, money. Now we knew this one was coming, didn't we? Because this is kind of at the core of all of the generosity. And this may be the toughest one of all. Because here's what I, here's what I know about you. Here's, here's, because here's what I know about me and everyone else when it comes to money. No matter how much money we make, it never feels like enough, does it? It never feels like enough. Do you remember your first job? Do you remember? Do you, does anybody remember how much you made? Don't say it out loud. Do you remember how much you made for your first job? I remember my first job. Uh, I was in high school and I worked at Grandma's Cottage. It was the strangest place. It was like half antique shop, half coffee shop. Anyway, don't we won't go there. I made four dollars and twenty-five cents an hour. I thought I was killing it. I mean, I left there. I was like, I am so rich. I'm like raining money. Well, I only did it four times because there were only four dollars, you know. But yeah. Anyway, I was killing it. I thought yes. And it didn't take but about twenty-four hours before this thought sunk into my heart. You know what? If I could make five dollars an hour, then then I would have enough for what I need, right? And thus began a cycle in my life. It does not matter how much money I make. My need always grows to meet it. And that's what's true for all of us. Now, Jesus, Jesus wants to be really clear on this because he knows the danger here for us. For Jesus, money is never simply a financial issue. It is always a heart issue. That's why he says where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. There's a heart treasure connection. And Jesus knew the power of greed in the human heart. And so uh, he, he warns us on this. And I want to talk specifically to the Christians in the room for just a minute. Okay? Just a minute, Christians. If you're not a Christian, you, you are off the hook. You can listen or you can check Facebook, whatever you want to do. But I want to talk to the Christians for just a minute. Those who would say, I am a Jesus father. You see, it is so easy in our world today to slip into this mindset. That what comes into my bank account, that what comes into my sphere is mine. I earned it. I produced it. I deserve it. I am entitled to it. I should be the one to decide what to do with it. But the teaching of Scripture is one of those upside-down turns here again. Scripture reminds us that everything we have is a gift. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. He said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything. Is there something good in your life? Everything is grace. Everything is gift. Your job. Your mind, your body, your home, your family, your relationships, your money, your talents. These are all good things. And as James says, they are all good gifts from the Father above. They are given to us to meet our needs, to meet our family's needs, and to meet the needs of others. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what generosity is all about. All right, Aaron, so are you saying that I should give away half of my stuff like Zacchaeus did? I'm down for that if it's one of my kids. I'm not sure if it's the car, right? No, I'm not saying that. Though if you want to, man, wouldn't it be amazing? No, what I want to talk about in this last moment is about loosening the power of greed in our hearts and how giving can help us do that. See, what the scriptures call us to do, And again, I'm only talking to Christians on this one. What the scriptures, what the Bible calls us to do is to practice a disciplined habit of giving. Something the Bible calls a tithe. Uh, We see this in both the Old and New Testaments. And this word tithe, it's not just simply any gift. It actually means a tenth, as in 10%. Yikes. Now, why would God call us to give 10%? Why not just 1% or or, or 2%? And I think the answer is actually quite simple uh, because, you see, 10% is just enough to feel it, isn't it? 10%, well, well, that stings a little bit. I I could probably give 1% and not even notice that it disappeared from the account. I mean, that's probably the amount I'm spending on Starbucks $20 coffees anyways, right? But 10%, I'm going to notice that. I'm going to feel that. And that's the point. The reason God initiated the tithe was not because he needs us to give, but because we need giving to loosen greed in our heart. God doesn't need our money. It is all his already. He gave it all. He can take it all away. But God calls his people to practice a disciplined habit of giving so that his grace can free us from greed in our hearts. So that we can be conduits of his grace and generosity to others. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, Each one must give as he has decided. See, there's the disciplined habit of giving. As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make what? All grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I remember when Miram and I first had to face this question. We were, uh, well, we'd only been married for about two years, and uh, my oldest, Zoe, she's 17 now, back then she was six months old, and uh, I had just started grad school, so I was working part-time, Miram was home, and, uh, you know, we were living in Los Angeles, and we made a whopping $20,000 a year at that time, uh, which covered about one month's rent in Los Angeles. Um, I'm just kidding. But we, we had to sit down one day, and I, I really didn't want to do this. Like, Marilyn said, we need to talk about this. I said, no, I, we don't need to talk about this one. I'm good, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm in grad school to become a pastor. Don't I get a free pass on this one? She said, no, we got to talk about this. And so I dreaded the conversation. But She's like, Aaron, we've got to wrestle with what the scriptures say about this. And I did not want to have the conversation. So we sat down, and, and, and we prayed. And we actually prayed for three days, and I remember we gathered at the end of that last day and we, we looked each other in the eyes and we knew, we knew in our hearts what God was asking of us. And so we looked each other in the eyes and, and we made the decision. And here's what we decided. We said that day, we decided we are going to live on less so that we can be generous with more. We are going to live on less so that we can be generous with more. And, y'all, I do not know how we did it that year, but somehow, miraculously, we lived off of $18,000 in California. Uh, We didn't eat. Well, we did. But it, it was tough, right? I mean, we felt it. And as hard as that was, as hard as that decision was, we have never looked back. And I want to tell you why. Something has changed in our hearts through the disciplined habit of giving that I believe can change in no other way. We are, every month, reminded that everything we have is grace. Everything we have is given to us by our good Father. Now, does this mean that we don't stress about money? Oh, no, no, no. I've called, like, about 12 of y'all dudes are on, like, my prayer list where you're praying for me right now about college and funding college, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? I worry about money all the time, but here's what's different. Here's what's different. That worry never has the opportunity to take root in my heart because grace is already occupying that space. I worry, but when I come back to that grace, grace frees me from the life of greed and tight-fisted and saying, ah, this is my God. I've got to clean this because I can't trust your grace to be enough for me. See, my friends, the teaching of Scripture is that it's all grace. It's all grace. Every good gift comes from your Father above. What would it look like to let that kind of grace permeate your heart, your life, and your minds today? Well, I want to end with a little bit of a reflection. And then we're going to close with a prayer. I want to invite you to just close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird, I promise. But just close your eyes for a moment. And if you're comfortable, take take your hand and put it on your chest. Just place it there for a moment. And I want you to breathe deeply for a minute. Breathe in and breathe out. You feel that breath? The scriptures say that that breath that you just breathed is a gift, a grace from God. Take a moment right now just to thank him for that breath. If you're here and you came with a friend or a family member, would you put your hand on their shoulder right now just for a moment? Just touch them. This good and perfect gift from your Father above. Take a moment to thank God right now for that relationship, that person. Finally, if you would cup your hands simply in your lap and allow God to draw to your mind all of the good gifts that he has lavished on us, quietly under your own breath, in your heart now, would you thank him for those things? Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. Lord, how unthinkable that you would stop and look at this man in this tree, that you would meet with him over a meal, and that your grace would change his life. Lord, we ask that you would do the same in our hearts and our lives today. Would your grace, would your love permeate every part of our being? And would you grow us, in us, hearts of generosity?